This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Every boy is looking to hear one thing from his dad, and that is, son, you have what it takes. In other words, you have what it takes to be a man. And mom can't deliver that. No one else can deliver that but the dad. And so many dads are absent because of 50% divorce rate, or of the 50% that are together, they're just emotionally absent, and they were never told that, and they therefore cannot say that to their sons. But that is one of the things we have the dads tell the son at the end of this, is that, son, you have what it takes, because these sons go through some scary stuff during those 15 hours, and then to do that final evolution blindfolded, um, and, and you could just tell that the son was... I was looking to hear those words from my dad. You know, I was looking to hear those words from my dad, and it's a very different relationship moving forward. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. 
text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it, and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com. And the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. Hey friends, I'm Bedros Koulian, and this is the Tom Rowling Podcast. Bedros, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. Well, I'm a big fan. I have read your book. I've listened to your podcasts. Uh, Ray Cash Care had so many great things to say about you. Lots of people have actually. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on here. And and um, you have an amazing story. You really do have an amazing story. Uh, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I kind of feel like the Cinderella Man sometimes, <laughs> where I've uh, lived two very different lives in this great country of ours. Yeah. Well, um, would you mind kind of walking us through through your story? Um, your, you know, all the way from the beginning, I think, because. Uh, I think it's really important just for people that may not know who you are to set the, to set the stage here. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Um, well, well, the best way to say it is uh, I always tell people I'm the immigrant edge and the American dream. And, and the reason I say that is because uh, my family and I escaped the Soviet union in 1980. So in fact, later this month on June 16th, it will be our anniversary, uh, 30 some odd years that we've escaped. But uh, I share this with your, with your, oh gosh, 40 years, it'll be the 40 year anniversary that we've escaped. But anyway, I share this with you because when we came to the United States, you, you kind of have this idea in your head that the United States is, uh, I remember hearing my mom and dad say, you know, there's all this great opportunity and there's this freedom and you can do anything you want. And there's no, there's no socialism. There's no communism. Now keep in mind, my dad was a member of the communist party. He did not want to be a member of the communist party in the Soviet union. So when we escaped, we escaped into Italy as a family under the guise that were going on a vacation to Italy and that we were going to return back to Armenia, which was part of the Soviet Union then. Of course, we never returned from when we got to Rome, Italy, we went right to the American consult. And my dad said, hey, I'm a uh, Communist Party member and I'm denouncing communism and we'd like to uh, apply as uh, refugees to come to the United States. And so hearing what America was as a child and then experiencing it the first few years were very very different because what I hadn't factored in my head as a child was that I didn't speak the language. I didn't understand English. I didn't speak it. I didn't understand the language or the culture. Uh, yes, it is the land of opportunity and stores. And I remember one thing my mom and dad would say is like stores have food around the clock in them because where we come from, you have to wait in line for hours when <clears throat> food is delivered to a grocery store. You might get to the front end of the counter. Sorry, we're all out. And so you kind of have to deal with it. Uh, water was rationed in Armenia. Gas was rationed. Electricity was rationed. And so everything was available here in the States, with one exception, if you had money. So we not only didn't understand the language or speak it or understand the culture, but we were also broke. And so you might imagine, for me, it was a very big culture shock because my dad, being a member of the Communist Party, 
we were pretty well off. We were as well off as you could be in a third world communist country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get here and I'm like, well, this sucks. You know, I'm getting bullied. I'm getting beat up, I'm being made fun of. We lived in section eight housing. My mom and dad and my older brother, older sister, all worked multiple jobs to make ends meet. Um, thank God there was uh, section eight housing, which is government, government assisted housing, food stamps, et cetera, which helped us get by. But we kept moving around from one apartment complex to the next, one filthier than the other. In fact, uh, within about a year of being here in the United States, Santa Ana, California, one of the apartments we lived in was so filthy, so dirty that I remember some nights I would wake up because I would feel things crawling on me and there were cockroaches and I would just have to like shoo them off of my body and, you know, start like crying and freaking out as a kid. Um, and that same apartment complex, I got lice and, uh, my mom and dad couldn't afford lice treatment. You know, we were literally living off pennies and every penny mattered. And so my mom had my dad siphon out gasoline from a parked car and she washed my hair with gasoline because it's the alternative was to pay $3 for lice treatment at the uh, drugstore. And we weren't about to do that. I share this with you because I grew up in a lot of adversity. I grew up in a lot of Uh, broke mindset. I would hear my dad constantly say, we keep running out of money before we run out of month. And so he would have to pick and choose whether we're paying the water bill or the electricity bill in whatever apartment we lived in. And that's with government assistance. I share that with you because all of those adversities that we dealt with, being an immigrant to foreigner, getting picked on and bullied and not having enough money and wearing funny clothes and hand-me-down furniture, et cetera, All that adversity turned out to be an advantage in my life because as I grew up and learned the language and understood the culture and started working and made money and then became an entrepreneur and really created wealth, I realized that what I was experiencing in this country was the true American dream. And that American dream is available to all, even now, more than ever, actually. And we can talk about that later if you want, but it had it not been for the adversity that I experienced as a young man growing up in this country, the adversity that you experience as an entrepreneur coming up, building a business, experiencing failures and debt and competition and market crashes, I feel like I was well equipped to deal with that from a young age because of the training that I got as an immigrant. And so truly, I'm the immigrant edge in this American dream story, uh, the Cinderella man, if you will so grateful for this country and my mom and dad, you know, to risk their lives and in their forties to come to a new country and bring their family so that their kids could have a great opportunity. Like I've had, it was just what a blessing, man. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, one of the things that I talk about a lot of times is, is weakness sometimes is strength. And that, that, that story is, you couldn't have encapsulated it better than that about how something that's perceived as your greatest weakness eventually turns out to be your greatest strength, you know, and, and you, you have lived that uh, all the way, you know, to today. And, and we haven't even gotten to the rest of your story, uh, which right. I know, but the, the audience doesn't, um, the immigrant mentality, has has helped you in in work ethic and so many other things. Um, when did you when did the entrepreneurial spirit start with you? Well, you know, um, I, I guess it kind of started when I was younger because 
my dad in the old country was a tailor. And again, everybody works for the government. So he worked in a men's suit manufacturing plant where he made men's suits. And so when we came to the United States, while he had all these different jobs, he was pumping gas at an Arco, delivering newspapers in the middle of the night, uh, worked at a pizzeria uh, in the kitchen uh, in the afternoons. He realized that none of that is really going to be a career for him. What would be a career if he could save up enough money to open up a little tailor shop in Anaheim, California, and he would start, you know, hemming clothes and, you know, doing what a tailor does. And so as he opened up that little tailor shop, he, he bought a failing tailor store from a guy who had, who, this is a crazy ass story, man. The place was called Joseph's Tailoring. And um, I forget what it was being sold for, but it was a tailor shop that on in the back was all these different sewing machines and everything a tailor needed. And the front of the shop was men's clothing. So brand new suits, brand new jeans, like, at the time, I think it was like Levi and Jordash and whatever, and men's shirts and ties. And so I think it was selling for like $15,000, the whole store, right? And my dad was like scratching his head, like, this is a smoking deal. I remember him and my older brother talking about it. My older brother's 15 years older than me, so substantially older, and I could hear them talking about it. Well, we found out later why my dad got such a good deal for this business. The previous owner who sold it to my dad had a gambling addiction uh -oh. and he had gotten into debt to all of his customers. He was borrowing money from his rich customers and then gambling it away. And so he just wanted to get rid of the store, get rid of the lease and, you know, another 15 grand in his pocket. Like the inventory alone cost like 30 grand. And so my dad was like, geez, I wonder why. Well, soon as people came in to collect on their debts and now there's a new owner, my dad pieced it together. And so this business had a very bad reputation and it took just over two years for my dad to get it to kind of stand up on its own and for people, the word to get out that, uh, you know, there's no social media back then. So word had to get out through people that it's under new ownership and the, the tailor cares and he's really good at what he does. And before you know it, he built this business. He was there 12 hours a day, six days a week, but it ended up buying him a home, a couple of rental properties, he was able to, you know, roof over our head and food in our stomachs. But more than that, um, after school, I would go there rather than going home. My mom would pick me up and bring me to my dad's shop in Anaheim. And by this point, I kind of developed, I guess, being the youngest, I learned the language the quickest and was able to lose my accent. And so my dad's like, hey, you're working the front counter. <laughs> and so you know, when someone comes to pick up their pants where my dad had to replace the zipper or fix the hem or maybe fix a cigarette burn, he would tell me like, hey, try and sell them a pair of socks or a tie or something else while they're, and so I would try and I would learn entrepreneurship. I would learn salesmanship. I would learn rapport building. And I guess it didn't help. It didn't hurt that I was young and small and cute. And so, you know, some little guy trying to sell you something, you're just going to buy it. And the more they bought, the more I got addicted to it. And I realized, Okay, I think when I grow up, I want to own a business, but I had no idea that I'd go into the fitness space and ultimately end up owning one of the largest fitness franchises, Fit Body Bootcamp, and you know, end up authoring a book and all these things. I just knew that I liked this entrepreneurship stuff. I was not worried about having to work 12 hours a day like my dad. I guess I kind of always had work ethic, uh, and I liked the idea that, gosh, the more I sell, the more I make. You know, now I'm making money for my dad, but if this was my business, this would be my money. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. 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 I've told my kids two, two very important skills in this world. You need to learn how to sell anything 
and you need to learn how to be a carpenter. Like those two skills can take you a long way. Like if you buy a house and you want to renovate it, you don't have to ask anybody. You can just do the work yourself, save a tremendous amount of money. And then if you know how to sell, that will take you a long way. You learn that, you learn that very early. Um, and then, uh, so the, the, the fit body bootcamp, how did you get into the personal training space? Well, for me, it was, uh, it was out of necessity. I, you know, having a mom and ethnic mom and dad, and it's not like they knew about high protein, low carb, low fat diets and all that stuff. Dude, when you're trying to get by, you're eating government yeah. food, whatever they give you. It was like, you know, uh, imitation Velveeta cheese, you know, off brand peanut butter, white bread. And when the bread got old, my mom would batter it with flour and eggs and fry it. So now you're eating fried bread. Is there anything worse for a man's diet than that, right? So growing up, by the time I get to a sophomore year, Tom, dude, I'm, I was about 30, 35 pounds overweight as a young man. Um, now, now junior year comes and I realize, holy crap, next year is prom. And I want to ask this, this girl, Nakaya, to the prom. Oh, when you're 35 pounds overweight and you don't have the self-esteem and confidence, all you're thinking to yourself is, if I was in better shape, like all the athletes who play football, I'd have a better chance of asking her out and her saying yes. So interestingly enough, you know, I was the pariah at school. Like I didn't have a clique that I belonged to. I wasn't with the nerds. I wasn't with the musicians. I wasn't with the athletes. So during lunchtime, I was the kid who just walked around the quad, couldn't wait until lunch was over because... It was just awkward for me. But in my science class, in my science class, I was, um, I had my science partner, his name is Dave, and he was the center of the high school football team. And so in science class, dude, we were chummy, we were friends, but outside of science class, like I can't talk to him. Like he was, he would shun me and I, and I get it. Like he was part of the cool group and I wasn't. So I'm like, Dave, how do I get Jack like you? Because I want to ask Nakaya to the prom next year. And I just, I need to lose weight. And I need to get, get, get muscular. And he's like, oh, dude, um, tell you what, one of these days, I'll take you to the school gym after school. I'm like, sweet. So he takes me to the gym. It was the most intimidating place ever. I'm <laughs> awkwardly working out. Just the barbell alone is, you know, all over the place. I've got no proprioception, no balance. There's no mind muscle connection built yet. Everyone's grunting and squatting and deadlifting and benching all this heavy weight. And I'm like, what, what, what am I doing here? I don't even belong here right now. Uh, but Dave brings me back and then he brings me back and then he brings me back. And soon I'm kind of starting to see development in my body. Well, as summer comes, the summer before senior year, I go get a gym membership at a Bally's uh, Total Fitness. Uh, they no longer exist out here. Um, started reading muscle magazines like Flex and Muscle and Fitness and realized what I was eating as an Armenian was not conducive to my outcome that I wanted. So I started changing my diet. And, you know, being a young man that summer, I lost 30, 35 pounds, man. I came back senior year looking lean, athletic, and people were taking notice. And I was like, this is it. Nakaya is mine. <laughs> now, I never had the, <laughs> I never had the courage to ask Nakaya to the prom. No. Uh, so I never ended up going to the prom. But, dude, people treated me different. They, it, it was like I went from being invisible for three years to being visible and likable my fourth year in, in high school. Now, nothing changed other than my, my personality didn't change. Nothing changed other than my physique, but all of a sudden I was visible. And so I realized when I get out of high school, I want to help more people achieve this transformation, not so much the physical part, but because of 
how I felt, how people treated me. I wanted more of that for others. So I got certified as a personal trainer, worked in a big box gym, not realizing that one of the skills that you mentioned, sales, you know, selling socks and a tie as a cute kid is one thing. Selling a $500 a month personal training program is a whole different thing. That's a high ticket item. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have the skill sets, it doesn't matter how jacked you are and how educated you are. Like I know where all the muscles originate and, and insert. I know the adenosine triphosphate system. I know all the different ways that carbohydrates can get stored in your body and used up as energy, but I didn't know how to sell. And so I was the personal trainer that had three personal training clients. And then I worked on the weekends as a bouncer at a gay bar because the gay bar paid more than the straight bar. And then I made uh, I made ends meet by also working at Disneyland as a busboy and a fry cook. So I had three jobs, even though I only wanted to do one thing, which was personal training. One of my three personal training clients was this older dude named Jim Franco, entrepreneur in his late 60s, curmudgeon and very direct in how he spoke. And he would always come to the gym. I'd see him pulling up in a different car every day, like an SUV, a Mercedes, a sports car. I'm like, Jim, how many cars do you have? He goes, well, I got four cars. I'm like, I only got this old beat-up truck. He goes, you know, you make enough money, you can have as many cars as you want. And that blew my mind. And then I go, how is it that you get here at 2.30 in the afternoon? Are you retired? He goes, no, I'm the founder and CEO of my company, and I could leave whenever I want because I've got systems in place. And then I've got people that run the systems, and the systems run the companies. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> So I'm complaining, right? Little did I know I had a built-in mentor. So as I was training him, he was mentoring me. And soon I realized that I got to become the Jim Franco of the personal training world. Now he had a software company in the automotive industry. And um, through his mentorship and guidance, I ended up ultimately borrowing money um, at 8% interest from him, $55,000 and opening up a little personal training studio and that was the kickoff of, of me getting into the fitness industry as an entrepreneur. And man, he mentored me and taught me how to sell, how to market, uh, how to retain clients, how to ask for referrals, how to reactivate a former client. These are all things I did not know. They don't teach you that in any manual when you go and become a personal trainer. Hell, they don't teach you that as a doctor or dentist when you go to medical school. Right. And, and <laughs> ironically, those were the skills that helped me make the hundreds of millions of dollars and that ultimately helped me parlay it into Fit Body Bootcamp, the international franchise that it is. It's incredible. So, so far, there have been two people in your life that were incredibly instrumental. Um, you know, Dave, your, your, your football player friend, and then Jim. Like, yeah. did you have other people in your life that you looked to and you were like, that guy's doing something really cool? Or, did these two people just really stand out and, and be a, a big part of your, of your life? I think these two people really helped stand out in terms of what I want to do in my life. Yes, I want to be in the fitness industry and then how I want to make money. Um, I was taught that. The other person, really the first person, when I look back, was my dad. In that, you know, this as an entrepreneur, man, if you're not willing to take risks, forget it. You're not going to make it. You know, the economy is, is on its way to crashing right now as we're filming this. Um, the crypto Bitcoin Ethereum has crashed like 34, 35%, just like the stock market has. Um, 
I just dropped another $55,000 into it because while everyone else is running away from it, I'm running into it because I'm buying at a cheaper price, right? right? I've learned to be a risk taker. I started Fit Body Bootcamp, our franchise, in 2009, 2010, at the peak of the housing market crash when unemployment was over 11%. So I've been conditioned by my dad to lean into risk. Like he risked his life to come to the United States. He risked his life to put in money together and buy that shop. He risked his life in buying a home and renting it out. I didn't know how to do that. And so between my dad and then Dave and then Jim Franco, I started connecting these dots. And the dots were that mentors are important in your life and that no man is self-made. Like when people go like, man, I'm self-made. It's like, no, you're not, dude. First off, if mom didn't feed you and change your diapers, you'd be dead. So right there, you're not self-made. And then if dad, and by the way, some people go, well, my dad wasn't around. You're welcome. You're welcome. Because he taught you that you can survive on your own, <laughs> that, that, that you can be resilient, that you can be resourceful, that you can do it on your own but you're not self-made. Like there's still things to be learned. Some people are an example. Like my dad was an example of how to be a risk taker. Some people are a warning. Either way, no one person is self-made. No one's born in a bubble and raises themselves in a bubble. And then through all these mentors that I had, I quickly realized, well, there's gotta be someone out there who's running gyms better than me. So I started looking for that mentor. There's gotta be someone who's a better speaker than me, which was easy to find because I was a horrible speaker. And so I started finding mentors who are professional speakers and I would get coaching from them. I'd pay them for their coaching and, and I'd pay them to teach me marketing. Before you know it, I'm paying Joe Polish and Frank Kern and Dan Kennedy and Jay Abraham. And I got all these mentors that I'm buying courses from and getting coaching from. And each one is stacking on top of the other to make me this, like this ultimate entrepreneur with this mindset of, I will stop at nothing to succeed. And um, I guess the, the, I had the fortunate thing for me was that because of Dave, my dad, and then Jim Franco, by my mid twenties, I knew that mentorship was the fast track to success in anything you want to do. And that is, that is awesome. Um, so part of what you're part of what I wanted to talk to you about today was the modern day night program, which is basically mentorship, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so how do we get from, from there to having the freedom to start another business like the modern day night program, which obviously is very, you know, it's, it's close to your heart. It's something that, yeah. that is your purpose. Um, you're following your purpose. And, but, but a lot of people are mired in being the CEO of fit body bootcamp, which is obviously doing incredibly well. How do you, how do we go from, you know, this point in the story to where you, you have the freedom to, to start looking at other things like, like the modern day night program? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And, and once again, I have to point back to adversity and how adversity ultimately becomes an advantage. And so while I had mentors that taught me entrepreneurship and marketing, sales, follow-up, retention, referral generation, reactivation, as you start building a brand, you start getting an assistant and then another employee. And right around when I had six or seven employees, uh, this was uh, the year 2013, Dude, I had a massive, massive panic attack. So bad. I'd never had a panic attack before. I felt anxious before. I felt stressed. Like what entrepreneur doesn't feel stressed and anxious throughout their life <laughs> as they're building up, right? Like you'd, you'd be functionally retarded if you didn't feel that. But 
when I had this panic attack one morning as I was getting ready to leave my home, dude, I thought I was having a heart attack. I was in my late 30s. I was 38 years old, 37 years old. And I remember thinking, okay, this is how I die. And it's so weird how quickly you accept death. I'm like, this is a heart attack. This is how I go. And then I felt this immense amount of sadness because I realized I let three people down. I let down my wife, who's going to protect her and be there for her. I let down my son, who's going to teach him and raise him to be a modern-day knight, a chivalrous young man who's purpose-driven and confident. And then who's going to walk Chloe down the aisle when she's older? Uh, Certainly not me. I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack in that moment. And so I stumbled out of my guest house. I happened to go up to my guest house that morning to get my shoes. The night before, I left my tennis shoes in the guest house because I play the drums and I play barefoot. So I'd taken off my shoes. So as I bent down to pick up my shoes, what I thought was a heart attack was taking place. I stumble out of the guest house thinking, here's what's running through my mind. This is what's weird, man. Men are so stupid. One, I accepted death that quickly, but then two, of course, all the sadness of who's gonna take care of my family. And then three, I'm like, they cannot find me at the end of the day in this guest house. If they do, I'm going to have rigor mortis. I'm going to be all swollen and nasty looking. And I don't, the last visual image of me cannot be that like they will be traumatized. My family will be traumatized. So my theory was that if I just somehow stumble out of the guest house, go down the staircase. And if I die on the pool deck, my wife would find me sooner or later. She lets the dog out and I'd be fresh enough dead where I would look somewhat normal. Right. I know it's twisted, but that's literally what went through my mind. And, and, and I share this with you because as I stumble down the staircase and get to the pool deck, I don't know if it was the fresh air or the movement. Dude, all of a sudden, like, this feeling of tightness in my chest went away and my heart rate started to go back to normal. Uh, the tingling in my hands went away. And I'm left in the sweaty puddle thinking, shit, I just dodged a heart attack, right? Well, all right, work's not going to wait for me, so off I go. Put my shoes on and off I went. That night, I'm telling my wife, hey, guess what? Um, you know, this morning I dodged a heart attack. You're like, what the hell? I go, yeah, I dodged a heart attack. She goes, we're going to the doctor. We go to the doctor. They do all the EKG and wacky tests. They're like, dude, you didn't have a heart attack. You probably had an anxiety attack. They turn to me and go, are you stressed and overworked? And before I can answer, my wife's like, yes, <laughs> yes, he is. He's a, he's a mess, right? And so what ended up really happening, the reason I share this with you is, uh, I became a great entrepreneur, as in I can market, I can sell, I can create a product and a service. But as my team grew, I was not a great leader. I'd never been a great leader. I'd never been put in a position to lead. And leadership is not factory installed in me. In fact, it's not factory installed in most people. Um, So when the time came to become the leader and stand in that place, I didn't know how to communicate well. I didn't know how to ask my team for what I wanted. Uh, I was passive aggressive with them. I didn't know how to discipline them. I felt like they had it out for me. Why, why aren't they working as hard as me? Well, who would work as hard as you for your business, right? But if the leader at least gave some vision, gave some direction, gave some KPIs, key performance indicators, I knew none of that could clearly communicate what's in here so that they could see it and execute it. And so in that moment, I realized that I was the problem and leadership was truly the problem and I lacked it. So I went all in now learning about leadership. I spent the next three years learning about leadership how to lead my team. My team grew, and now we have well over 70 team members here at HQ and across the nation. Nice. And um, 
what's really cool is I was able to then recruit other leaders to come in and step in as VPs and director of operations and COOs. And before you know it, my plate is empty enough where I could do something like the project and help other men who were in my position who build a business, but are anxious, suffering in silence, feel like they're just running on the hamster wheel. Yes, I'm making a lot of money, but I can't sleep at night. I'm taking NyQuil to fall asleep. And then I started adding Vicodin in addition to NyQuil to fall asleep. And I take a pot of coffee and pre-workout to wake up in the morning. And I was on the cycle and I realized very quickly, one, leadership is the problem. And two, there's some issues I got to deal with. And so when I asked that doctor, can you put me on Xanax or something? And he did. Well, within a week of being on Xanax, dude, I had no desire to perform mm -hmm. in my business. I had no creativity because it just numbs you, right? Yeah. So I go back a week later. I go, hey, doc, this isn't working. He goes, well, you got to go do talk therapy. Like you need a therapist to give you tools to deal with your anxiousness and, your, and, and all this stuff, your stress. In talk therapy, within four sessions, my therapist, Kevin, taught me halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you're halting, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you're more likely to have an anxiety attack, a panic attack. The alcoholic is more likely to go back to the bottle. The gambler is about going to go gamble when they're halting. And then also, anxiety is anticipation of future pain. So rather than anticipating the future pain, deal with it, have the communication, solve it, lean into it. So he taught me some tools and voila, four weeks, no anxiousness, no feeling like I'm going to have a panic attack. On the fifth session, I go, Kevin, looks like we're done here. You gave me the tools I need. Thank you. See you later. He had built such a relationship with me in those four and a half, five weeks. He goes, hey, before you leave, is there anything else we need to talk about? Maybe your family growing up, maybe, maybe anything take place in Armenia, you know, anything else. I'm like, thought about it. I go, nope, everything's good. And he goes, are you sure? I go, listen. I grew up in a rough and tumble environment because my dad's a former communist and I grew up around gangs here in Southern California. Uh, but none of the beatings that my dad gave me and none of the gang violence that I experienced held a candle to what happened to me in Armenia. Mm. And he looks at me, he goes, holy crap, what happened? And I broke down and started crying, dude. For some reason, he had built such rapport and trust with me that I felt safe enough to put that olive branch out there of, um, I guess opening up the, the can of worms that I was molested as a young boy in Armenia between the ages of four and six. Wow. So when we escaped, my mom and dad still don't know that they freed me from that constant molestation by two older boys. And so when you then go back and realize the pattern of my life, where I had a chip on my shoulder, I have to be successful at any cost, um, Felt like I was unlovable, so I was the I, you know I was sabotaging my own success, poor communication, and all this stuff was really a byproduct of the trauma that I had experienced, never processed through, and walked around with a chip on my shoulder as a victim, as a broken man trying to shelter and protect myself with money and wealth, wow. and that really doesn't work. And so many men do that. And so as I healed and I put myself through all these six-week challenges by training for six weeks, running a marathon, training for six weeks, doing MMA and jujitsu and you name it, I realized there's something about putting yourself through, through voluntarily suffering and adversity and then also working with a the therapist or working on your own traumatic situations and healing from it. As I did, I became a better husband, a better father, a better entrepreneur, a better leader. Fit Body Bootcamp hit the Inc. 5000 list two years in a row. Third year, it hits top 200 franchises in the nation. 
fourth year, we hit like record numbers. And I'm like, that, that is not a coincidence, man. The leader healing, the business skyrocketing, the relationships blossoming were all at the same time. And so as I wrote my book, Man Up, in 2018, I talked about working with a therapist. I talked about doing these six-week challenges and putting yourself through hardships for periods at a time and how you grow from it, how you meet your higher self, how you, you realize a greater level of, 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 of uh, mental toughness and discipline. And I call it the other place. You go into that other place, the other room where you become unstoppable. Every one of us have that, but we need to deal with some level of adversity to get there. Mm. And so all these guys started to reach out to me as they read my book and said, hey, you ought to put together some challenge, some experience where we could experience that. And so that's when I decided that I'm going to put, you know, find a Navy SEAL who can be my lead instructor. And then I already had this angry Marine who was a coaching client of mine, <laughs> that he could be the other lead instructor. And now I need some guy to teach MMA and fighting. So everything that I did through my challenges. So I wanted to be this three day experience where a Navy SEAL is putting you through a hell week like experience, while this Marine is just tearing you apart. Uh, while the MMA guy is teaching you fighting, and then a SWAT guy is teaching you pistol and, and rifle manipulation. Um, and then I would teach the mindset, business development, and creating a routine to win in life, right? Structure. And the five instructors of us ran our first project class for men. I just put up a post, no website, nothing. I said, hey, it's $12,000 for three days. I'm looking for 12 men for $12,000 per person to come and um, go through this 75 hour experience with the Navy SEAL, an angry Marine, a SWAT operator, an MMA guy and me. Um, there's a bell, if you ring it, you quit. But if you make it to our number 75, we're going to an awesome steak dinner together and you're part of this amazing brotherhood. That was almost three years ago. And uh, since then we've run 14 classes. Wow. Over 135 men have graduated the project. Over 212 men have uh, attempted the project. <laughs> There's about a 25% dropout rate. Uh, they ring the bell and quit. Um, and dude, by the way, I told Ray, the seal, I was like, Ray, we do not need a bell. He goes, yes, we do. If you want me to run this, like, like hell week. And, and he used to be a hell week instructor, uh, a yeah. buds instructor. He goes, if you want me to run this like hell week, we're going to need, I go, look, those guys volunteered to go through this. So it's easier for them to quit. These guys are paying 12 grand a piece and it's only three days. They're not going to quit after paying that kind of money. He goes, I will make them. I'm like, all right, we're not going to need it, but bring the bell. Dude, I was blown away when guys would just get up from the beach or the asphalt or the mud pit or the ice bath. And I go, where are you going? I'm going to ring the bell. I'm like, no, don't. Like I try and talk them out of it. It would maybe last 20, 30 minutes and they get right back up and go ring the bell and quit. So since then, sadly, we do have ringers. Um, uh, but the modern DNA project is builds mental toughness, uh, personal discipline, helps every man, for lack of a better term, unfuck themselves because one out of every four men have been sexually abused. One out of every three men have been physically abused and verbally abused. No matter the abuse, physical, verbal, sexual, emotional, it lights up the fight or flight system in the brain and it creates trauma it then creates a false identity, whether we're unlovable, we're not meant for success, we start to upper limit in how much happiness we invite into our life, how much love we can accept. So that's how we tear up our relationships and, and, and we tear up our business success because we feel our identity is not 
going to allow us to get to millions. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be there. I'm a messed up person. Hmm. And so <clears throat> the project works on every category of man in those 75 hours. And those who graduate are part of an ongoing brotherhood. And we connect twice a year in person. And we have a private Facebook group. And it's just this awesome healing experience. And I love that. I did a, uh, I did a, a similar, similar thing before you had done the Modern Day Night program. I, I did Seal Fit um, mm -hmm. Kokoro. And yeah. uh, it was, I mean, I talk about it on podcasts all the time because it was transformative in my life. It Absolutely. hit almost all of those things. Um, but where I see that something that you're doing differently is there's a little more maybe business. And then there's, then there's this community that follows. And Ray, yeah. had talk, Ray had talked about the community. And I also had Rich Vanek on the, on the show. And he talked about the community that follows this Modern Day Night program. And when I finished Seal Fit, I reached out to as many of the people that I could connect with. And, and I've stayed in, con in contact with a few, but not all. And I wish I had, because we went through some things that only we will know. And right. it was real. It rocked you to the core, stripped you down to absolutely nothing. And then because of the people around you, you were built up and taken taken through and it was interesting um this is another thing that i've talked about a lot uh, so if you've listened to this a million times sorry but seal fit we were encouraged to to talk and help each other then i did another one called go ruck selection where you're not allowed to talk to anyone you cannot talk to anyone it's a it's right. a it's a violation if you do if you try to help anyone well i made it through seal fit Easily, I mean, I say easily, I breeze through or whatever with the help of all, all my new friends. And in GORUCK, we were doing almost the same thing. And it was much, much, much more difficult. Now, I learned lessons from both that it's easier to succeed when you have a team around you. Correct. And if you try to Rambo this life, it's very, very difficult. And you know, uh, I like the way you just said it. If you try and Rambo this life, it's very difficult. We are tribal. We are a pack animals, uh, and anyone that goes back to what we said earlier that thinks they're, you know, I'm a lone wolf or I'm a self-made and I, it's, I'm an island, you're going to suffer. Yes, and 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 you suffering is one thing, and and a lot of people can suffer and be somewhat successful. But when you have this team and you learn that at your darkest moment, helping someone else uh, will lift you up more than than anything else that you could do. That's yeah. that's a big lesson, but I, I I really like what you're doing with 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 embracing the the business and what you know about business and the entrepreneurship and the, and the routine and the habit and how you how you're going to get this incredible momentum from this program and you're going to unlock parts of your brain and your potential that you didn't even know that you have. But where are you going to be in two years? Like, how right. do you keep that going? And that's what I see that this, this community and staying involved and staying, you know, active in that community, that would kind of prolong that a lot. Yeah, more. It, it creates accountability. And yeah. we all know that that which is tracked and measured gets improved. And yes. so when you have guys from your class and other classes now as part of a community that you meet up twice a year in person and then regionally they're connecting all the time and they're all in the facebook group like they do business together get tattoos from each other because a couple of them are world-renowned tattoo artists some of them are like amazing financial advisors who 
you know, and now all of a sudden, like Rich Vanek met a guy in the group where now they're business partners together. And so when I see that happen, I'm like, holy crap, man, like yeah. we created something that's so much bigger than us. And it brings me so much joy and happiness. And to see these men heal, because I do take them through a journaling process called killing your toxic cognitions, which are your false beliefs about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two things, really three things that separate the project from anything like it is one, I do believe that money is a weapon and we have to use money and we have to make an obscene amount of money to have financial freedom and then to let that cup overflow so that we can help others, churches, causes, charities. And so that's a gift that I have in terms of entrepreneurship. And so I teach that. The other thing is the, the journaling process of killing the toxic cognitions and really realizing that, wait a minute, this experience that happened to me does not create this false identity of who I am. Yeah. It is just a blip on my timeline of life. And so for the first time ever, they verbally talk about what happened to them and they look left, look right. No one's judging them. Others have gone through similar experiences and they go, you know what? Okay, I don't have to carry this heavy burden like I did. And then, of course, the third thing is the brotherhood beyond the 75 hours that keeps them connected and accountable, which, again, I sometimes think like I didn't even start the project. It just kind of worked through me and became this thing. And we always joke about it because Ray and I always joke about, man, if we got hit by a bus, we've got easily another 10 guys from the brotherhood who can step into our position now and keep running this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. How'd you find Ray? How did you and Ray connect? <laughs> well. <laughs> So you've had Ray on your show. Yeah, so he's yeah. a very colorful individual. Love him. I, I so, really uh, do. I, I just love him. He's got energy. He's, I mean, he's the kind of guy that you're just, you're going to push yourself around him. He is going to bring out the best in you. Agreed. So, so to that point, about three and a half years ago, almost four years ago, I, I was asked to speak, do a keynote presentation at a big event in Miami. Uh, one of my dear friends, Jason Redman, also a Navy SEAL, mm -hmm. uh, was a speaker at that event as well. So, uh, you know, I see him, we hug it out. Hey, what's going on? He goes, Pedro, I want to introduce you to someone. He's also a SEAL, and he was in the same buds class with me. So he introduces me to this stacked powerhouse mm -hmm. of a man, Ray Cash Care. And Ray immediately with his magnanimous personality, like, hey, good to meet you, da-da-da. He goes, I'm the opener to the opener to the opener to the opener for you. I'm like, <laughs> all right, fantastic, right? And it automatically gets me to laugh. And then after my presentation, um, true story, man, as I'm talking on stage, I could see out of the corner of my eye, stage left, like, I'm like, I think in the dark shadows, that's Ray, and he's got his back to me off stage. And afterwards, I'm like, hey, buddy, was that you? What were you doing? He goes, oh, I wanted to make sure I heard all of your presentation. I had to pee, so I was peeing in a bottle. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's interesting. I didn't realize that this is what I'm getting as a business partner moving forward, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, all right, well, that's an interesting guy. He goes, Hey, by the way, after lunch, uh, do you want to go hang out at the bar? I'm like, sure. I'll have a drink with you. He goes, well, we're going to do this thing called the stunt man. I'm like, what is it? Did he tell you about the stunt? Yeah. Man? Yeah. He's told me about so, that, but go for it because only, only he's told me about it. No one who, who he has made experience. It has told me about it. <laughs> so I go, well, buddy, what's a stunt man? I'm thinking like, you know, like whatever, like Shirley temple, right? It's the name of a drink. And so he tells the bartender, he goes, hey, uh, two stuntmen, please. And the bartender looks at him like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, give me a, two shots of tequila, two separate shots of tequila, two limes, and give us the salt shaker, all right? So the idea is that you sprinkle salt on your hand and you snort it up your nose, you shoot the tequila, 
And then you take the lime and you open your eye and you squish the lime in your eye. And there you have it, my friend, a stuntman. I was in all types of pain and fluids were running out of my body. And Ray's like, you're a good guy. I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, if you say so. And I said, hey, listen, what do you do right now? If you're not like, are you an active SEAL? He goes, no, I work for the three-letter agency. Um, I was like, okay, got it. He goes, I still go on deployments for that three-letter agency. Okay, check. Um, now we know now that I got him to quit with the CIA. And so as a contractor for the CIA, he would constantly deploy. I said, look, I'm looking for someone just like you who knows fitness, who's a larger than life personality, who's kind of got your background for this experience that I want to do in a few months. Um, can I pay you to do it? He goes, yeah, but it has to be in June or July. Those are the only two months I'm, I'm here in the States. So that's when we ran that first one and it was successful. I said, well, Ray, this was successful. I want to run a second one. When are you here? He goes, oh, October, November, I'm back. Okay, great. So we ran one in October. Bigger class, just as successful. I go, Ray, I think we can make this a thing. Uh, he goes, really? I go, yeah, but I don't want to do it around your deployment schedule. I want to do it whenever, like, I want to do it five, six times a, a, a year. He goes, okay. I go, what does that three-letter agency pay you? And he told me. And I said, you can turn in your resignation. You're hired. And um, that's how we got into business together. That's awesome. <laughs> and so there's there's another element to this story, which I'm very interested in. And I know you just finished a class with the Squire program. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about the Squire program. Well, you know, it, it, again, this whole thing is working through me and Ray, Steve and Aaron and Matt, the instructors. Um, I can't, we, can, we can't take any credit for what the project has become and what it spawned as the Squire program. But five classes in, four or five classes in, these men that are graduating are like, oh my God, I've got so much more self-awareness. I can communicate with my wife and my team better. I'm more emotionally stable. I've got more mental toughness. I know I deserve love and abundance and freedom and opportunity. Great. If only I knew all this stuff, you know, how to fight, how to use a pistol, uh, how to shake hands properly with the man, like stand up when you're going to shake hands, make eye contact and shake hands. Like we teach these things. Like men, unfortunately, don't know these things. They don't know to open a door anymore and let a woman through or another man through. Or when you're going down on an escalator, the guy stands in the front so that the woman doesn't fall. You can catch her. And then if you're going up on an escalator, you stand behind so she doesn't fall backwards. Like, or when you're walking down the sidewalk, you take the street side as a man. Like these are just basic things that once I had learned, I wanted to pass on to other men. And every guy would be like, man, I just wish I knew this stuff when I was younger. And you hear that over and over again. Mm -hmm. I go, you know, hey, Ray, what if we created a thing? And at that time, I was reading um, Joseph Campbell's book, The Power of Myth. Fantastic book, very dense. So if anyone watching or listening to this is going to read it, don't read it, just listen to it. Listen to the audio of Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And then you're going to, I'm 19 times through it now, just so I can understand it. 19 times through it. Really? Yeah. I have OCD. When I, when I, when I want to do something, I lock on, I do it all, all in. So, uh, which is also a curse. That's a whole other thing. But uh, <laughs> so um, in his book, Power of Myth, Joseph Campbell talks about how there used to be for thousands of years, every culture, every community, every ethnicity had a rite of passage yes. for boys, right? Yes. Because a young girl, something very physical happens to tell her that you're now a woman. You have a menstrual cycle and you start developing breasts. 
you can tell physically that you are now a woman. You have blossomed into a woman. A young man, there's nothing that happens to you and I around 13, 14, 15 years old that goes, you're a guy now. It's like, all right, you get a little hornier. You develop a little mustache, maybe. <laughs> you get some armpit hair. But what, what, what's really happening? What, what is the thing that took place? And so tribes and communities and cultures had created a rite of passage, right? Like the Aborigines would take a young man around 13, 14 years old, They'd steal him from the mom. The dad was a part of this, the tribe of men. And they would take him to the edge of the forest as the sun was going down. They would hand him a knife. They would, they would have him, they would cut his arm just enough uh, to draw blood. And then they would give him the knife and go, go into the forest, fend for yourself tonight. The blood is going to obviously attract predators. You've got to find shelter and fire and food and water. Do not come out until the sun comes up. And when you do, we'll be right here waiting for you. Now, that young man with that knife, while bleeding, has to go fend for himself. And when he comes out, that was his rite of passage. When he comes out, he now comes out as a man, a young man. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. And he now has got a seat at the table with these men of the tribe where he will now learn to hunt, to to fight, to be a protector. He will be in the decision-making seat now along with the tribe. And that's how tribes were tribal, right? Mm -hmm. And this happened in every culture, by the way. There were all different variations of these things. Uh, another tribal in New Guinea, they would, the dad and his close friends from the tribe would wear these evil-looking masks, like the devil. And the mom knew that sometime that day, they're going to come into the house and steal the 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy. And they would steal him out of the house. And the mom fights, no, don't take my baby, don't take my child, he's my son. They take him from her custody, and right outside of the little hut, they beat him up with these scary-looking masks, and they beat him up just enough where they allow him to fight back and win. And when he, but he he takes a good ass beating first, and then starts fighting back, and they let him. Yeah. And at some point, the dad takes the mask off his face to expose himself, and then puts it on the boy's face, hugs him, and he says, "Welcome." to the tribe, you've now won a seat at the table. That was his, like like gangs have an initiation. Yeah. In prison, there's an initiation. The military, there's an initiation. There's always initiation into manhood. And so that's what they did in New Guinea. And now again, he's won the right to learn to hunt, to protect, to have a voice, to you know either mastery or whatever his skill set is to be of value to the tribe, but you're no longer a child. You're no longer dependent. You are no longer a liability. You are an asset. Mm -hmm. And so we are missing that in our communities right now. This is why young men who are 34 years old, still living in their mom's fucking basement, have cheetah <laughs> dust over themselves, playing video games, and then are so depressed and anxious and can't sleep at night because they're still dependents. They are liabilities and not assets to their family and to the community. This is why we're prescribing four times the medication in terms of mood, mood medication that we ever have in this country because we have declawed and defanged young men and they're or they, they, you still have this need to hunt just because you put a lion in a cage does not mean it doesn't want to claw you it doesn't want to attack you the the the, the trigger of wanting to hunt and chase a prey as a predator is still there and so then we wonder what happened to our young men why are they so 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 what do they call them um Toxic in their masculinity. Yeah. Toxic masculinity should not exist. You're either masculine or you're toxic. You're toxic because you've been declawed and defanged, and you're not allowed to explore 
adventure and to experience battle, not battle like let's go to war and kill people, maybe that as well if you're going to join the military, but battle as in can you fight the system and create a business amongst competition? Like I've been in battle in the franchising space and it feels good to fight a battle and to come home with money and go, wife, I made money. Let's get a bigger house and give our family a better experience and donate to our church and to our cause more. Like a man has that desire. And when that desire is not encouraged and fulfilled, he begins to get depressed and anxious. And this is what society is dealing with. And so we have committed to the Squire program. It's a 15 hour experience, same instructors from the project, no bell, way less violence, <laughs> father and son experience for 15 hours where the fathers are guiding their sons through this rite of passage. And at the 15th hour, they, we blindfold all the boys. The fathers guide them through a very scary obstacle course where there's bear traps and razor wire and rusty nails. And the idea is to trust the voice within. Right now, that voice is your dad. And we instructors and our junior instructors give a lot of negative voices from the outside trying to draw their attention another way. And they navigate this 50-yard obstacle course and get to the other side where their dad uh, takes off the blindfold, hugs them, and welcomes them into manhood and decides, says that we, my friends and I now, will pour into you as a man, son. Um, And so the Squire program, every class sells out. And we did one in Maine with Ryan Mickler. We've got one in July with Tim Kennedy and uh, Wes Whitelock. We've got one in North Carolina in November with Nick Conalopoulos. And then one in September here in Southern California with the original project crew. Wow. That's amazing. What, what, what is it like at that moment when they're, when they're taking the the blindfold off? Man. So I, I, I I did this when my son turned 13, he's now 16. Um, But since there was no Squire program, I created this whole experience by going to Idaho. A friend owns a shoot house there. I took nine friends with me who I trust, men who I trust, and who, if God forbid I died, I would want them to lead my son. Uh, And we put my son through a scary experience all day long in the shoot house, in these different scenarios. And then we all circled up around him and poured into him. And then I said, son, congratulations. This was your initiation into manhood. Um, And so I had read a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight when my wife was pregnant. And that's what gave me the idea. Till this day, every class that we've run of the Squire program, and you know, we have like anywhere from 20 dads and sons, like a couple, you know, pairs to with one class where we had 80 attendees, so 40 dads and sons. But man, when they cross that finish line and take the blindfold off, I just six foot, 230 pounds, and I just want to fall apart and cry every time, man. Um, it's, it's, I never had that, I gave it to my son. I see how meaningful it is. Me and my son are like like best friends. We work out together every night. We play ping pong. We do the hot tub. We're inseparable. And to see these dads create those relationships and those bonds in such a short time and then to commit to their sons moving forward. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's emotional. It's healing. It's therapeutic. It's And it gives me hope for our great country, man. This is such an amazing country, the, the United States. We're one generation away from losing our constitutional rights and freedoms and opportunities and liberties. And if we don't pass this along to the next generation, the next generation will let go of what we have in this great nation, this beautiful nation, and we will become like all the others. Because freedom, as my friend John Lovell said, is not the natural state of man. Freedom is not the natural state of man. Um, Sadly, 
men want to oppress and enslave other men. Uh, and we must have good men who are willing to stand in the gap where that's concerned. Wow. And is that the message that, uh, that is received loud and clear in the Squire program? Absolutely. That and they have a greater responsibility than just their family and their community. They have a responsibility with the nation and the freedom that this nation gives. Wow. I love it. And do you have the community after the fact uh, that these that these boys that are now men are join their own community, or do they join the modern day night community, or what's what's the post? Good question. We class them up together. So every squire class, the young men are connected together through a private Facebook group, and actually now we're creating uh, the Mighty Networks group, so that it's not on social media. It's mm -hmm. just a network group. Yeah. minus social media aspect. Uh, and it's so cool to see these boys swapping numbers and staying connected. Um, and, and, and now they have their own little tribe of men. And I told Ray, I said, if we did our job right with the Squire program and we can do more of these across the country over the years to come, we should be able to work our way out of a job where the project is concerned. You know, if, if yeah. we do this right, we'll never have to run another project, modern day night project class again. Well, I just, I think it's amazing. Both what you're doing with men uh, having experienced something similar to it myself, it is no matter where you are in your life, you can, you can learn things about yourself and it's a, it's an outstanding way to do it. I think that what you're doing with the, with the modern day night program is outstanding. And then to, to give that opportunity to, um, to the boys is incredible. Yeah. My son did a, uh, uh, did a, I, I had such an incredible experience in seal fit that I was looking for something just like you're saying, like, what can my son do? And he did a, uh, a what they call it a 20 X. And it was like a short 15 hour, 20 hour, or I think, yeah, I think it was like 20 hours. So it was half the time of a, of a Kokoro or whatever, but he went through that at 15 years old. And, um, he came out the other side, a different person. I bought him a shotgun. I was like, here, you know, you've always wanted this shotgun. Here you go. Here's your shotgun. And, uh, it was, I mean, that was his, his rite of passage of now, you know, you did big boy things. Now you get a big boy toy like this. You're no longer a boy. Like you now have the, the responsibility of, of owning this firearm. You have the, you're a man, you know, and it was, he came away with this new found confidence. He was confident before, but of knowing what, well, yeah, I'm a man. And, uh, and I did what it, you know, I did this test. I passed this test yeah, and it yeah. was awesome. But, uh, you man. Know, um, there's a, um, there's a great book out there. The, God, let me see if I can grab the title real quick. I think your audience would love it. Uh, stand by as I pull up the library here, wild at heart by John Eldridge, mm -hmm. wild yes. at heart. And he says that every, every boy is looking to hear one thing from his dad, and that is, son, you have what it takes. In other words, you have what it takes to be a man. And mom can't deliver that. No one else can deliver that but the dad. And so many dads are absent because of 50% divorce rate, or of the 50% that are together, they're just emotionally absent, and they were never told that, and they therefore cannot say that to their sons. But... That is one of the things we have the dads tell the son at the end of this is that, son, you have what it takes because these sons go through some scary stuff during those 15 hours. And then to do that final evolution blindfolded um, and, and you could just tell that the son 
was I was looking to hear those words from my dad. You know, I was looking to hear those words from my dad, and it's a very different relationship moving forward. Yeah, have 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 you uh, had communication with a lot of the dads about the about the relationship with their sons afterwards? And has it been? We do actually during the project. There's a two hour gap where we separate the sons and the fathers, and we take the fathers to a different building uh, here in our headquarters. It's our we call it our learning center. And two of my instructors, instructor Steve and instructor Matt, the Marine and the SWAT guy, pour into the dads about, look, you know, as dads, it's your job to let this your son know that he has what it takes. But you can't just let him know that. You have to put him through the test, and this is the test. And, you know, you can't not say I love you. And how you role model a relationship with his mom is what he is going to go and duplicate. And so we educate the dads for two hours and some of the dads, and I had to do this one time when I walked in, I, I, into that meeting, usually I'm with the sons during that time, but I walked into that meeting with the dads and I said, guys, there's about seven of you here that I can look at you and say, you look like a pumpkin. Your son looks like a pumpkin. You look like a pear. Your son looks like a pear. You are literally role modeling poor health to these young men. And then this guy looks like a you know jack beast and your son looks like a jack beast. And the reality is that they will model us. They will model us. And so, you know, to tell these dads in private, away from their sons, I never want to embarrass them, that look, man, you've got a duty and an obligation to take care of your health, to be battle ready, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, be battle ready. Um, the battle that's taking place right now where the government is trying to disorient and confuse our kids into thinking you're male, you're female, you could be whatever you want. You could be pregnant. You want to be pregnant, be pregnant, but it's your body, your choice, but only if you're a woman, but if you're a man and you can be pregnant, is it your body, your choice? We don't know if you're white, you're well, but if you're black, but if you're what the hell, right? Like we need fathers to step in because there is a battle for our, the, the minds and the hearts of our young men and women, that's happening. And if a man can't be physically fit, if he can't respect his the house that he lives in, how is he to respect his son, his wife, the house, the community that he lives in? He's not. And so those are some of the tough conversations we have with these dads as well. Yeah. And and needed as well. And and it's a it's a it's a weird thing to to uh you know I, as a as a father myself, I had to come to the realization that putting your health first is not a selfish thing. Putting, no. putting time for workout and putting time for physical fitness. That's not a selfish thing. In fact, that's your duty that you have to do that in order to take care of your family. How can you be the best if you are not the best? So you may just have to find a different time to do it. You may not be able to do it at your leisure at four o'clock in the afternoon when there's soccer games and wrestling matches and lacrosse games and things like that. You might have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to do it. You create that time. And uh, that's something I feel very strongly about. But I, I, I had to come to a whole different realization of, no, this isn't, I'm not taking this time for myself. I'm doing this for all of the people that are around me. And uh, that, was, that was a big change. Um, man, if people wanted to, get involved in the modern day night program or the squire program, what would they do? Uh, easiest thing to do is to either follow me or Ray on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is at Bedros Koulian and Ray's Instagram is uh, Ray care. Um, or they can just go to, uh, they can Google modern day night project and our site should pop up and they can learn more about it. It is the most 
healing, violent experience that any man can experience. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I'm just totally down with the whole thing. I think it's fantastic. Um, right and I don't know how or where, but I've told Ray this too. I don't know how or where, but I want to get together with you guys and do some training. Uh, I would love that. I, I would just, love it. If you're where, ever, where's the base for you? Where are you e located? Either in Florida or in um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I spend a lot of time there. Uh, so the Florida Keys or Chattanooga, Tennessee. And oh. um, but you know, I go I go all over the place. Um, so I don't know. Name it. Now I'll I'll try to be there. But I would I would love it. I really would. I'd I'd love to. Just uh, you you guys got a, a good energy, and I want to experience it. Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate man. that. And, uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a super busy guy and, but your, but your story is incredible. And, um, if you want to learn more, what he didn't tell you is that man up is a fantastic book. You can read that book. It's also on audio. I listen to it on audio. It's fantastic. And, um, and there's a billion podcasts that he's on. He donates his time to spread his message and, uh, you do a great job of it. You're a great, you're a great communicator. Um, thank you. Okay, Bedros, thank you very much. And we'll be back for another awesome episode next week. Do yourself a favor, seek out Bedros Koulian, read his book, look at his podcast. And if you're at all interested in the Modern Day Night Project, I think you should do it. And I think you should also get your son involved in the Squire program. All right, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.